Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Good morning. God bless you. How's everybody doing? Good. Ready to dig into the Word of God and continue our study in the book of Exodus. And today we are in chapter 2. So why don't we turn there? Exodus chapter 2. And while we're turning there, let me ask you a question, and I want you to be honest. How often do you pray? (laughs) mainly it's a rhetorical question for you to answer in your own heart but are you a man or woman or young person of prayer you see I believe God created us to have fellowship with him to have intimacy with him to have a dynamic exchange and prayer is paramount folks in being a Christian if you're not a person of prayer, something is wrong in your life. Now, here's, here's a, a, a sad fact. They surveyed pastors, uh, Leadership Magazine, which is a journal for pastors, and most of these pastors said they pray about three minutes per day. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me. Because Pastor Chris and I, I know we talk about it often, man, our heart is so knit with the Lord that everything we do is bathed in prayer. And folks, I got to tell you that as a pastor of this church, I am compelled by God this morning to encourage you to be a man or woman of prayer. I don't care if you haven't been doing it, start doing it. We need to pray for this nation, for our families, for our kids, and pray for this church. And if we're not people of prayer, I can assure you, God will not move. And we're going to talk about prayer, but why don't we dig into the book? We're going to find at the end of this chapter, chapter 2, finally the children of Israel cry out to God, and guess what? God puts in motion the plan to deliver them from 400 years of slavery. Verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. Now, what, what's the tribe of Levi? What are they known for? The priestly tribe. And we know who these people are. Flip over to Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, and actually there we're given their names. I don't know why they don't name them in our text, but it's Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed. Now, back then they could do that, right? Okay, they could actually marry because the genetic pool was still so pure that they wouldn't produce, you know, uh, weird things. Today, the genetics pool, by by the way, we're de-evolving. We're not evolving. Have you ever heard that? Um, Man back then used more of their brain. They, They could accomplish more than we can now, even though we're apparently smarter. (laughs) Uh, It's just the accumulation of knowledge. But genetically, we are de-evolving. They lived longer than we do uh, way back then. And, you know, progressively, man has been declining, which is kind of interesting. But back then, he married, and uh, she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the length of Amran's life was 100 and 37 years, and that was kind of normal back then. The, the de-evolution where even with medicine, we can only keep people alive about 100 years or so. 
uh, not as much as them. Verse 2, back in Exodus chapter 2. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, any other translations for that word beautiful? Fine child. <laughs> okay, that's where we get fine. Oh, she's fine. He's fine. You know, it's uh, beautiful. We didn't know that word came from the Old Testament. <laughs> she hid him for three months. Now, we're going to find next week a lot of similarities between Moses' life and Jesus' life. Do you know that Moses is a type of Christ? In fact, in Deuteronomy, uh, God told Moses that, hey, one day I'm going to raise up a prophet like you, and my people will listen to his words, and those that don't will perish. Okay, and that is Christ. So Christ, we know, was king, prophet, and priest. What about Moses? He's born in the tribe of Levi. He is king. He leads the children of Israel out, still prophet and still priest. They're the only people besides Melchizedek that held all three offices, king, prophet, and priest. They're the only people in the Bible, Melchizedek, Moses, and Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I find it pretty interesting. Yes, in fact, Melchizedek could even be a Christophany because as you read about him, he had no mother and father. He had no beginning nor end. Uh, and so it's very interesting when you read the book of Hebrews. Now, the time that we're at right now in our timeline is about 1525 B.C. And we know Jesus, though. This is the big difference between Moses and Jesus. Moses was a good-looking man. Jesus in Isaiah 53, and we read it last week, he has no form nor comeliness that we would be attracted to him. So even though Moses was extremely attractive and, you know, probably all that, huh? Charis well, except he couldn't speak. He had probably had a speech impediment. Yeah, that's right. Okay, verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch, and then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds in the bank of the Nile. Now, why did she do that? Go back to chapter 1, verse 22. Remember, Pharaoh commanded his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast in the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now, that's another similarity between Moses and Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13, when the king said, hey, anyone two years or younger, the males, you got to kill them. And that's when Jesus fled where? To Egypt. Yeah, to Egypt. And God protected him there. So continue on, verse 4. And his sister stood at a distance to find out what had happened to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh, who remembers her name? Hatshaput. Hatshaput. I'm not pronouncing it correctly, so, but it's Hatshaput. Okay came down to bathe in the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Now, isn't this interesting? 
So she hid Moses for three months. She put him in a basket, put him in the Nile, probably knowing that Pharaoh's daughter bathed in this, situ- this place. She found the basket, and Moses' sister was right there, so she brought the baby out, and she immediately went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, you want me to get a nursemaid for you? Notice what happens next. Verse 9, Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. She's going to get paid to nurse her own son. Isn't that great how God does that? So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses. Now, who was the Pharaoh at this time? Who remembers? Thutmosis. Remember, they have that same last name to be born of or to be taken out of. Continue on. And said, because I drew him out of the water. Verse 11. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So Moses committed murder, right? Now, was it justifiable? So the, the Egyptian was just beating a slave. That is not illegal. What Moses did was wrong. He essentially murdered this man. Continue on. And he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. Verse 15, And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, Pastor Chris read about Gideon. Who was Gideon going to fight? The Midianites. Exactly. So this Midian eventually became a great nation. But this is where Moses fled to, verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Now this is very interesting, because back then only young maidens would water the flocks. No one else. It was beneath a man to do this. And here Moses, raised as a prince of Egypt, uh, flees to Midian and actually waters this flock for the girls. Notice what happens. By the way, was Jesus a servant? He humbled himself, right? In fact, why don't we turn there? Turn over to John chapter 13. Starting at verse 1. This is another similarity between Moses and Christ. They both served. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simeon, to betray him. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Can you picture this? Here, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, creator of the universe, humbles himself to wash the feet of his disciples. Continue on. Verse 7. Verse, verse 6. And he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do to you, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my, also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is, and completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to do what? Wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who was sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You see, I believe that Moses humbled himself and watered these flocks. Go back to our text, Exodus chapter 2. Just like Christ would eventually humble himself also, Exodus 2.20. And he said to his daughters, where is he then? Verse 19, I'm sorry. So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what is more, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to his son, and he named him Gershom. You've probably heard this name before. What does it mean? A stranger, a foreigner. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, that's Thutmose II, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. Do you think they were fervently praying? So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God, God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. I asked you a question, how often do you pray? Do you think prayer is important? Turn over, if you would, to James chapter 4, starting at verse 1. James, all the way in the back after Hebrews. Chapter 4, starting at verse 1, it says this, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. 
You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because what? You do not ask. Is prayer important? Does it change things? Absolutely. Never think, well, God knows everything. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it, so why should I pray? You have not because you ask not. You ask and do not receive, verse 3, because you ask with what? Wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. You know, he desires intimacy with you. Prayer is all about having intimacy with God. And folks, I got to tell you, most Christians are not people of prayer. They might pray before a meal very quickly and usually the same words repeated. Father God, thanks for this food. Bless to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. They might pray before they go to bed, a simple prayer, but God desires fellowship with us. He desires praying that is what? The Bible says unceasing. That constant fellowship with him. Continue on. Verse 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. How do you do that? In prayer. Folks, prayer is so vastly important. And I got to tell you, as I prayed about this message in Exodus chapter 2, I was going to do 2, 3, and 4. But God said, no, those people cried out to me at the end of chapter 2. And I heard their cries. And that's why I delivered them at the perfect time. Folks, prayer moves God. Draw near to God through prayer, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. How do you do that? In prayer. How do you go into the presence of God? Through prayer. And he will do what? Exalt you. You see, folks, I believe as a pastor of living water that uh, I've failed to encourage you to pray. We used to be a praying church. Who, who remembers that? I mean, we had prayer meetings every week. We did a lot of prayer. And when Pastor Harry moved on to do his ministry, and I think he's, li he's living up in Big Bear now, by the way. You can still pray for Pastor Harry. He was our prayer pastor. And so he would encourage us to pray. When he left, there was a void left, and I have neglected to really push you to come to prayer meeting once a month. You know, the second Sunday of the month is our prayer meeting, 5 o'clock. One Sunday a month, on Sunday evening, we ask that the church come together and pray. Is that too difficult? Is that too hard? You see, this church will never grow, and I'm not talking about numerically. I'm talking about as a bride of Christ, as a functioning body, unless we become people of prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7, and we know, folks, if you just look around and read the headlines, we're living in the last days. Do you believe that? I believe it's not long before we're going to see 
the prophecies come to pass and one day soon our Lord is going to come and take us home. That's going to be a glorious day, isn't it? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Who remembers that old hymn? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Okay, First Peter 4, 7. Yeah, I won't sing. Uh, oh, my Lord have mercy. Jake, you're not going to Texas, man. I just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jake and Jen bought property. We got to pray for them, right? Uh, he's uh, looks like they're going to be moving to Texas. So one thing we need to be praying for is a worship leader at this church. Amen. Yeah, we've gone through a lot of worship leaders, sent them out. And man, so Jake, you're going to start a church out there, right? <laughs> we'll support you. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, what? Be of sound judgment and sober spirit under the influence of nothing but the Holy Spirit for the purpose of prayer. Folks, in these days, there is a dumbing down of Christians. They are not critical thinkers. They're not standing for truth. They have become so compromised that they look just like the world. God is calling out his people to pray. To be people of prayer and not six times a day like some people do or three times a day, but constantly throughout the day to include God in your life, to pray for the purpose of prayer. Why? Because we are in the last days. Acts 2.42, the church when it was born, they continually, how often? Continually devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. That's the word of God and a fellowship, breaking bread together. And to what? Prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I went to church to feel God. Did anyone ever go to a Pentecostal church? Or I mean, I went there to get that emotional rush. You know what I mean? I worshiped God, not for the sake of worshiping God, but to feel good. I wanted that, whoo-hoo, yeah, you know, jumping up and down and crying, and I, 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 I felt God. Now, if you devote yourself to the Word of God, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with other believers, and to prayer, you will feel God. You see, I believe we should feel God, and I'm not talking about the emotional rush and just praising God for that purpose alone. But as we worship God, we should feel a connection with God. Do you know what I mean? Kept feeling a sense of awe. Notice this model. They devoted themselves to the Word of God and to a church that teaches the Word of God. They devoted themselves to fellowship with those in the church, and they devoted themselves to prayer, and they kept feeling a sense of awe. That was God. You see, I believe God wants to engage our hearts. And the heart is the seat of the emotions. So it will be an emotional thing. 1 Timothy 3.15, But in case I'm delayed, I write to you that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Do you know everywhere you go, you're still in God's household because you're a member of this church? Or whatever church you're a part of, that's God, God's household. And even in your own house, you're still part of that household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. 
1 Peter 2, 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you know that every one of you is a priest according to the New Testament? Do you know that? You're a priest over what? Your own temple. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you, and a priest represented the people to God and God to the people. You represent yourself to God through Jesus Christ and God to yourself. Does that make sense? In fact, nowhere does the Bible say that a man is the priest of the home. It's just not in Scripture. You can't find it. Is he the head of the household? Absolutely. Is he priest of the home? No, we have one priest, and who is it? Jesus Christ. We have pastors, we have leaders, we have shepherds, but our job is to equip you to be ministers. You are priest of your own temple, your body. The house of God is mainly for one purpose, Jesus tells us, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How do we do that? A lot of it involves prayer. The sacrifice of our mouth as we bow in prayer. Mark eleven seventeen says, He began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called what? A house of prayer. If there's one reason that our church, in my opinion, is not a praying church, it's because I failed to make it a praying church. Does that make sense? Is it important that we become a praying church? Absolutely. Absolutely. God answers prayer. At first, prayer was physically walking with God. Can you imagine Adam walking in the cool of the day with God, just talking to him? Moses, we're going to find, walked with God and met God face to face and conversed with them just like uh, a man converses with another man. Prayer is intimacy with God. Folks, he hears your prayers. Later on, men, after sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, all they could do was cry out to God. Remember that? In Genesis, they would just cry out, 4 verse 26, to Seth to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh, and then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's pretty much all they could do. What about the children of Israel in Acts chapter, or Exodus chapter 2? We just read they cried out to God. They didn't really have an intimacy with God, and they wouldn't have that until the law comes, and through Moses, they begin to develop a way to reach God. But even that failed. It took Jesus Christ, our high priest, to reach God. Today, prayer is once again walking with God. It's conversing with God like you would converse with someone else. It is not just bowing your head three times a day and saying, Lord, help me today, and I have all these needs. Whoa, and most of us become people of prayer when what? Things are falling apart. <laughs> we should be people of prayer all the time to be in right relationship with God. Prayer is not only repenting. You ever do that? I don't know about you, but I do it a lot. <laughs> it's like, Lord, have mercy. Oh, my Lord, I don't know how you can love a wretch like me. You ever feel that way? Oh, man, he says, 
I love you more than you know. In fact, I love you so much. The Lord Jesus Christ, I sent him, God the Father says, to die in your place so that I might have intimacy with you. John 3.8 says, But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly. What do you think that word means in the Greek? Passionately, zealously, earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. God is calling us to prayer. This morning, over and over this whole week, as I prayed (laughs) about the message, he kept saying, call my people to prayer. Now, I don't know why. I don't know what's coming, but I do know this. Prayer changes things. We need to pray for those in our family that are lost. We need to pray for our children. We need to diligently intercede for them. Intercessory prayer is praying on behalf of others. We need to pray for everybody. And sometimes, I got to tell you, I'll run out of things to pray for. You ever do that? You know, I've prayed through the whole list. I've prayed for all you. And, okay, Lord, now what should I pray, you know? I, I do have the gift of tongues, so I might speak in tongues a little bit there uh, and pray. But um, then all of a sudden, I'll just say, Lord, show me who you want me to pray for. This is really bizarre, but I will get a glimpse of a family that I've never seen before. I'll just start praying for them. Or one of your faces will pop in my head or your kids or people that I've seen that may have visited here. And all of a sudden, I see their face clearly. I'll begin to pray for them. You see, prayer is interceding on behalf of others to a holy God. And God's hand will not move unless you pray. It amazes me how so many Christians say, well, man, I can't believe God allowed this to happen. And I look at them and say, well, did you ever pray about that? You see, prayer also builds a hedge of protection. You ever hear that? And As you pray for your house, as you pray for your kids, you can say, Lord, man, protect them. And in the spiritual realm, something happens. I believe angels probably are dispatched and encamped round about those. Well, the Bible tells us those who fear God, the angel of the Lord encamps about them. He protects them from harm and injury. We cannot blame God for tragedy in our lives if we haven't prayed about it. Because God will not move unless you pray. Do you know that? You have not because you ask not. Ephesians 5.14, For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk. What does walking mean in the Bible again? It's how you live. It's your lifestyle. It's who you are. It's what you do. Be careful how you live, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what's God's will first and foremost in your life? To be a man or woman of prayer. To have communication with him, to have fellowship with him. He created us to praise him. And you know praise is part of prayer. It's super important. Worship on Sunday mornings is just as important, if not more important, than the message. We need to be people of praise and prayer, worshiping a holy God. 
Romans 13.11 says, Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Don't you love that? You see, I believe in the morning when I start my day in prayer, I'm putting on that armor. And the armor of God, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, my feet shod with what? The preparation of the gospel of peace. Everywhere I walk, I'm prepared to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness, which is really what? Faith and love. It's faith and love. Folks, the night is almost gone. The day is at hand. And God is calling his people to pray. We've got to pray. What does that song say? I think it's a rap song or something. If you're going to make it today. Who sings that? Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Lord, save his soul. (laughs) Is he a Christian? Is he? Oh, hallelujah. So you got to pray, MC. You got to pray. Whoa. If you're going to make it today, yeah. No longer do we hide from God like Adam did. Folks, if anyone that you love has ever given you the silent treatment, you know how hurtful that can be. But how often do we do that to God? I'm ashamed to say that I used to be a man that walked with God in prayer all the time, every day, all day. Everywhere I went, I prayed. It seems past month or so, it's like all of a sudden I've, I've worked the whole day, been so busy, and oh man, I didn't pray. Didn't have lunch either. I've been too busy. Lord, you know. It's interesting how God's message applies to all of us. So I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to become a man of prayer again. I pray that you all would become men and women of prayer too. It affects everything in your life for the good. Your countenance will change. We will find in the book of Exodus that when Moses spent time with God, he actually glowed. Isn't that cool? You know, have you ever met someone who just spends so much time in prayer that they seem like they're glowing? You know, I mean, it's not physical, but it, they're, they're radiant. You see the glow. It's all about seeking the Lord. Proverbs eight seventeen says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. I love that promise. But the word there, the operative word, is diligently seek. You do that in prayer. You do that in prayer. Psalm 105.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Is that praying? Yes. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. You want the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Spend time on your knees in prayer. It will begin to come. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. How often? Continually. Remember his wonders which he has done and his marvels and the judgments uttered from his mouth. You will seek me, Jeremiah 29, 13, and find me when you search for me with what? 
all your heart. Prayer involves every ounce of your being, your heart, your mind. That's why we're commanded, love the Lord your God with all what? Your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Are you doing that? Are you living your life for God? Are you including Him in prayer? Are you praying continually? Much of prayer is seeking His face. I remember as a young person when I came to the Lord, we would have prayer meetings. We had all bowed down at our own little chair there or up at the altar at the front of the church, and we would all diligently seek God. Any of you remember those old-time prayer meetings? Man, we would get on our knees and diligently seek God. And we would see miracles. We would see God's hand move. We used to sing a song, Give Me That Old-Time Religion. <laughs> give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good enough for Grandpa. It was good enough for Grandma. It was good enough, you know, for the donkey. I, I don't know, but... I, I really believe, and I used to say, I used to preach, man, I don't want the old-time religion. I want a new move of God in my life. Does that make sense? But now the older I get, it's kind of like, wow, I miss those old prayer meetings. <laughs> I miss those days where the church corporately got together and got on their knees and sought God and saw God's hand move. Folks, we need to be a church of prayer. We need to be a church of prayer. Are you seeking the Lord today? Are you a man or woman of prayer? If not, I know this, that today is a day to start being a man or woman of prayer. And you will see God, God's hand move in your family, in your relationships, in your work, and you will hear His voice guide you more clearly. Does that make sense? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. Do you think God was a God of grace in the Old Testament? Absolutely. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I don't know about you, but as for me, I want to be a man known as a man of prayer. I want to return to that relationship that I once had with God, where I prayed without ceasing, where I walked with God. Do you want to be that? D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. I love that quote. I want to be a man of prayer. God is calling us to prayer. We will see amazing things when we run to the Lord in prayer. Amen? Mm, come on up, worship team. Jake, Jen, yeah, it's already, yeah. We're already there. Second Sunday of the month. Oh, we're going to change it. Thank you, Maura. <laughs> 
So next month it'll be um, the third Sunday. Can't do it on Mother's Day. Yeah, right? There's a quote this guy wrote in the 1800s. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil and mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Folks, I like this guy from the 1800s. Because if there's anything that we learn from the great men and women, not only in Scripture, even Jesus himself, they all got away and prayed. They all became men or women of prayer. We need to do it. This uh, old hymn says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Mm. I want to make Satan tremble. I want to do great exploits with God. John Wesley said, give me a hundred people who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell. That's what I want in my life. That's the kind of church we need to be. Amen? All right. So I'm skipping a lot in this message today. Oh, read Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 8 later on. And there we're exhorted. Hey, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, think about whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is noble and good report. That whole text, read that, meditate on that today. Let's be a church known for prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccvcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word, I love the way it comforts me, strengthens and restores my soul, satisfies my needs.